Hi there, you're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, the Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. If you've been a listener for a while, you know I was a paralegal manager before I started my company, Paralegal Bootcamp. I learned some things as a manager that I wished I knew when I was a paralegal, and I want to share some of those things with you in today's show. You've probably also heard me talk about how much I loved being a litigation paralegal before I was a manager. I had a very successful career as a litigation paralegal. I loved it. I was working at the top of my game on big cases, doing work that I really enjoyed. My attorneys would frequently, not once, but many times, tell me that I was indispensable. And I was also rewarded financially with really big raises and bonuses. I'll do a whole other episode about that. The reason I bring it up for this episode is because as much success as I saw, if I'd known some of the things that I learned after I became a manager, if I knew those when I was a paralegal, I could have seen even more success. That's my goal for you, to be wildly successful as early in your career as possible. If you're not already a subscriber, you should visit the website. That way you'll get alerted when I put out information like this that might not always be in a podcast episode. It could be in the form of an email to our email subscribers, or maybe an email letting you know about a video that I've put up. In fact, that reminds me, if you're not on our email list, you probably don't know about a free workshop that I did for litigation paralegals. The replay is available now. It's at litigationparalegalworkshop.com. All right, let's jump in. These are not in any particular order of importance. I'm just going to run through the top four or five. If I think of more later, maybe I'll do a part two of this episode to make sure that you have all of the information that I wish I knew when I was a paralegal. All right, lesson one that I learned. It's the practice of law, but it's still a business. During the paralegal years, I was mainly focused on what you should be focused on, get the work done. However, after moving into a management role, I gained a new perspective, the business aspect of a law firm. Understanding the economics and the client relationships and the interpersonal relationships between partners. And I realized I should have been entering my time on a regular basis. (laughs) I've got to say, if I had anything to do over again, it would have been that, is to understand the importance of time entry. You've probably heard me talk about this before. I remember when I was at trial once, and it was in White Plains, New York. I was in Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta, but the trial was in White Plains, New York. I was gone for two or three weeks and super busy like any trial paralegal would be. And I didn't enter my time before the monthly time entry deadline. And so when I'm back in the Atlanta office after trial, celebrating, feeling great, The office manager comes in my office and says that, you know, he's upset because I didn't 
get the time entry deadline. And, you know, I apologized and he left. And I was thinking to myself, what does he think? I'm at trial working 10, 12, 14 hour days. I don't have the time to enter my billable hours into the system. This is ridiculous. Yeah, well, it wasn't until I became a manager when I realized the true importance of that. We can have a whole other episode about that. But first off, remembering that even though it's the practice of law, it is still a business. Now, that being said, lesson number two, it's not your business. What that means is you have to find a balance between work and your personal life. And work can't override your personal life. Work is just that. It's work. You're working for the law firm or the company, and they are the business owners. You know, I hear frequently and see on social media posts things like, you know, paralegals having to run the entire law firm while their attorneys go to Italy for three or four weeks, and how much stress they're put under, and the different ethical problems that happen with that. And I just want to reach out and scream <laughs> at them that this isn't your business. It's their business. They own it. They're going to benefit from it. And I even have the same attitude about my own business. I would never expect a team member to work harder than I do. I would never expect them to give up their personal life like I have to sometimes because I own the business. I made that choice. So along those lines, though, I think another lesson kind of goes along with that, but it could be, yeah, it's probably the same. I was going to say maybe it's lesson three, but really it goes back to a work-life balance, right? Well, all right, let's not even say work-life balance because there really is no such thing. Now we've heard the term work-life integration, maybe. So there are two different concepts. Work-life balance refers to the concept of dividing up your time between work and personal, and there's a definitive line in between the two. And the problem with that is when you have that definitive line, work usually takes over. It's not like it's down the middle. Work starts creeping into your personal time. And so work-life integration is more of kind of a fluid approach where rather than separating work and personal life into two distinct compartments, it's the concept that with the technology we have now, we should enable people to work anytime, anywhere. So it, it, instead of these two different things, they actually intersect, which they do anyways, right? It's just What's intersecting is your work life is taking over your personal life. Here's an example of what it might mean. And usually the work life integration is more of if you've got a hybrid remote position or a fully remote position. That's a better example. So if you have the freedom to work when and where you want, then work life integration might be something. So for example, you have a hybrid position and today's your work from home day. You've got a sick kid that's also home from school. So while they nap and when they go to bed early, that's when you're putting your work in. You're still working eight hours or whatever it takes to get the work done, but you might be doing it from 11 to two and again from six to 11. 
that's work-life integration. It allows you to integrate the fact that you've got this kid homesick from school, and instead of taking the whole day off, you figure out a way to get it all done. Anyway, so that's still, I think that's still lesson two, though, is to remember it's not your business. Don't kill yourself for them. Don't, you know, give up some of the things that every person would normally have as an employee. That's why people want to be employees instead of business owners. So you don't have to deal with that kind of stress. Lesson three is I would have mastered the art of delegation earlier. It was a pretty important lesson for me as a manager to manage what I call or master the art of delegation. When I was a paralegal, I felt the need to take on every task myself to ensure that it was done to my standard, right? We think that, you know the saying, if you want it done right, do it yourself. It's not that I never delegated while I was a paralegal. In fact, in my later years, I had a project assistant who was assigned to me. She was great. But all I really did was give her the stuff that I didn't want to do, little task piecemeal things, instead of letting her fully take over and own a project. I could have done a better job delegating. If I understood back then what it really means to delegate effectively. And part of that comes from management training that I took. And so you think to yourself, oh, I'm a paralegal. I don't need to know how to manage people. You know, it wasn't really management. I wouldn't necessarily say that you should go for management training, but maybe something along the lines of a leadership training to learn how to lead right? Because you could be leading a team of people. You could be leading a team of other paralegals. You know, if you're working on, say, this huge project, how many times have you had this before? I had it a lot where one paralegal in the office is working on a really big project and they pull in four or five other paralegals to help them. That's still delegation and it requires leadership. So there's all kinds of articles out there. If you want to look into delegation, it's got the typical, you got to identify the task that you're going to delegate. You got to choose the right person. You got to clearly define the task and the deadline. We all know those. But I'd add that the most important part of delegating and the lesson I learned through leadership training and then being a paralegal manager is to set a specific time or stage of the project for them to check in with you. For example, if you're getting a project assistant to put together a set of deposition prep notebooks for 10 depositions that you've got coming up, you don't want them to do all 10 notebooks and bring them to you next week only to find out that they're all wrong. They're not what you expected. So instead, have them put together one, bring it to you, give them feedback, and then they can move on to the next one. On the flip side of that, let's say you're the person who's receiving the project. Your attorney asks you to do those notebooks. They're probably not going to ask you to check in, right? They're not going to say, and let me see the first notebook when you've got it done because I want to make sure that the project goes smoothly. They're not going to do that. Most of them aren't going to do that. Then take it upon yourself to bring that first notebook to them and ask if that's what they had in mind. You know, instead of pushing through the whole project without knowing if it's what they really wanted. All right, lesson four, know your numbers. They're more important than you think. 
That's especially true if you're a paralegal who works in a law firm with a billable hour requirement, which I was. But this holds true even if you don't have a billable hour requirement. If you're a personal injury paralegal who doesn't have to enter their billable time, then know how many active claim files you're managing every month, how many settled this month and for how much, how many trials you had and what the results of those trials were. If you are a real estate paralegal, how many closings did you complete last month, last year? And what was the dollar amount of those closings in total? The numbers are more important than you'd think for a couple of reasons. One, your current employer is looking at those numbers. It's the KPIs of every business. KPIs are key performance indicators. It's how all businesses measure and evaluate the strength of their business. So if you work in a law firm that has a billable hour requirement of 1,600 hours for paralegals and 2,000 for associates, but most of them are usually only hitting 75 to 80% of those numbers, then it tells the firm that there's not enough work. In other words, we've got too many people, and if it continues, we might have to consider some layoffs. If you are at a firm that doesn't have bill blowers, let's say you're at that plaintiff's personal injury firm, they might look at how many total active cases they have as a firm, what percentage of those are on your plate, What percentage of yours reach settlement in nine months versus 18 months? Why might they do that? Because that's nine months of delayed cash flow for them. The longer that personal injury file sits dormant, the longer it's going to take for cash to come in the doors to pay the bills. The second reason why you want to know your numbers is because your potential future employer is probably going to ask about those numbers. As a paralegal manager at a large firm, I wanted to know what the typical billable hour year was for a potential hire, because I'd want to know if this person could handle the pace of a particular team. Let's say you're currently working at a firm that has a 1,500-hour billable hour requirement, and then you're applying to a potential employer for an 1,800-hour. That's their minimum requirement. I, I would want to know, even though my firm has a 1,500-hour requirement, during the interview, I would ask that person, well, and do you usually meet that or do you exceed it? Because that's a big difference between 1,500 and 1,800. So maybe your 1,500-hour was your requirement, but you frequently build 17 or 1,800. That's why you want to know those numbers. All right, our next lesson. I think this is lesson five. Yeah, five. Management knows who the bad apples and underperformers are. Yeah, they do. I remember as a paralegal being so frustrated that I'd be busting my butt and see other paralegals who would come in late, leave early, spend a lot of time chit-chatting with coworkers, take a little extra long lunches, if you know what I mean. There's at least one in every office. If you're dealing with that, I feel for you. I was there. It can feel deflating. I remember thinking, you know, why do I even bother to work so hard when others are getting away with that kind of stuff? I'm just going to take it easy. Ultimately, though, I didn't because that's just not who I am. And it's probably not who you are either. 
Here's what I can tell you from a manager's perspective that might help you in dealing with that if that's part of your job. In most situations, those people are not getting the raises and bonuses that you are. And if you can see it, others in your office can see it too. The attorneys see it. That's probably why they prefer to work with you. The managers see it. Other paralegals see it. If you're like most people, then you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Anne, if they all see it, why aren't they doing anything about it? Here's the thing, kind of behind the curtains thing. It takes a while, especially in a bigger firm, to get rid of someone, even someone who deserves to be fired. In a small firm now, it well, in some states, as long as they're in an at-will employment state, if you're in a really small firm, that office manager might be able to walk into that paralegal's office and just say, things aren't working out, we're letting you go. That doesn't happen usually at a big firm. In this next statement, you're probably not going to like it if you're the hard worker, is that it takes even longer to get rid of that person if they work for a rainmaker partner. Yeah, I hate to say it, but it's true. All right, well, I covered a lot in today's episode. That's five lessons. Let me go back through, make sure I got them all. Lesson one was learning that it's the practice of law, but it's still a business. Lesson two, it's not your business. So get that work-life balance figured out. Lesson three, I would have mastered the art of delegation earlier. Lesson four, know your numbers because they're more important than you think. And lesson five, management really does know who the bad apples are and the underperformers, and they will eventually do something about it. Be patient, stick with your guns, do the great job that you've been doing, and know that eventually it will work out. All right, if you want to see all of this in print, I don't know if you realize as a podcast listener, on Fridays, after the episode comes out, we typically turn these types of episodes that have a list or, you know, a lot of information in them, we turn them into a blog article because I know that some people like to see it in print as well as listen. Plus, if you visit the website, you'll see the new website design that we did a couple of months ago. Instead of just a blog now, we've got a whole resource section for you. Okay, don't miss next week's episode. It's going to be our monthly paralegal inspiration episode, and I've got another great one for you. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.